but want to say thank you to uh, the Church of the Resurrection. Um, in fact, one of their members, uh, former members, I, I guess I should say, is, is here, and he's been with us um, for a few weeks, and I just want to say thank you to them. Um, they, uh, yeah. It, you know, it's just, it's just kind of one of those things that, that happened. Uh, if you don't know how this happened, it's kind of a comical story. Um, when, when the shutdown happened uh, because of the pandemic, we were walking at night. This is when uh, you can breathe outside because there wasn't much humidity in March. And um, so we were walking in the evening, and, and an elder man that lives in my neighborhood, um, I'm not going to name his name, but uh, f- funny guy, uh, he kept stopping me. He's like, come over here, Matthew. You know, like, I, I, I kind of want to be that, that guy when I'm older, just yell at people, tell me, come over here, and... So I'm like, hey there, what's, what, what's going on? And he's like, I got this building, you need it. And I kept telling him, like, no, we have a building, leave us alone. I didn't say that, but I'm just saying, like, this is what I'm thinking in my mind. Like, man, I'll, I'll be praying, out, and if I hear of anyone who needs a building, I will definitely let you know. Um, this happened three or four times. Finally, he drove by my house. <laughs> this guy's persistent in his old age, which some of you ought to take note of. In his persistence, he stopped me when I was doing some yard work, and I finally said, all right, I'll go look at your building, and I went over there, and over here, actually, and I said, yeah, I think this could work, but funny story, we met with their trustees, and they were like, well, actually, Matthew, he overstepped his bounds, we already have somebody looking at this building, I was like, thank you, I almost <laughs> named his name, but I'm like, thank you for wasting my time, I appreciate that, turns out, God had other plans, and, uh, and Philip emailed me about a week later, I think, and basically a short, short story is like, if you want it, send us over some, some documents. And that's that. That's how God moves. And I wasn't looking for God to open a door, but sometimes God does that. He opens a door, and when he opens it, I suppose you ought to walk through it. Which coincidentally is where we find ourselves in this passage, Paul asking prayer for something similar in his quest to feather the gospel. You're going to hear a phrase that should stick out to you when it comes to open doors. We're going to pick it up in verse 2, chapter 4 of Colossians, and he says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, Your trans, or another translation may say, stay devoted in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of the gospel on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word in which it brings life and some of us perhaps have been looking for some audible voice from heaven to speak to us when we came in. 
and I got good news. You just spoke. Thank you, Lord, for your word that brings life and that sanctifies us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple phrases that I want to pick apart uh, this morning um, that it, when it comes to this, this text. And this first phrase, when he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, when it comes to prayer, let's all be straight that uh, the Bible is very serious about the idea of prayer. Uh, and someone may need to help, Willie. Paul even says in Romans chapter 15, he even says, strive with me in prayer. I, I like that. That's like, like labor with me in prayer. Like work with me in prayer. And it's this urging when he says in Romans 15 verse 38, he says, I beseech you brothers that you ought to, ur that you ought to work and lab labor with me in prayer. So he's like, dude, I am urging you to labor in prayer with me. And so the Bible's pretty clear of its view about how we ought to look at and participate in prayer. Paul says pray, a few things that he says here. Pray as you are watching. Pray that God will open a door for us. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Look what else he says, and this is, could be broken out in two sections. Then he says, make the best use of your time. Be gracious, seasoned with salt. He ain't talking about you being salty. Some of y'all better repent. So you'll know, and hey amen, I had to get salty with somebody this morning, uh, and I apologize if I did, by the way, it's been a rough week. Know how to talk to people. It, so it's, it, it would seem that this message is pretty clear for us today. We're here today because God has brought this church an incredibly long, long way. And the reason why we're here, if you didn't know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag real early, is that God's church doesn't necessarily have some grand vision. God's vision includes us, the church. And the church, and He has put us directly here where we are today. As a result, to be light and to shine the hope in our community. He has literally opened up a door for us as a church to step into something brand new and something very unique for us. And I could not have written this story, the story of refuge. It's quite an interesting story how it all happened. We started probably 10 years ago, and we started as just like a, a few people meeting in um, a little apartment, and out of that Bible study where we were sh just thinking vision, thinking about what this could be in a town that was inundated already with churches, what is refuge going to look like? And so we begin to map that out and begin to seek out the wisdom and guidance of God and look at Scripture and dive in. And out of that, we birthed this church 10 years ago. And, and from there, our journey has been pretty clever, uh, cleverly written by the Lord. We started in an apartment and into what is now the Point Cafeteria. We got 
not bitter about this, got booted out. Booted out is probably a pretty way of saying they told us to leave. We left in a quest to find a building. God opened yet another door for us, and I was, and I'll be straight with you, I was content with just putting up a giant tent somewhere and maybe some fans because I can't take the heat and, and, and just meeting somewhere in a parking lot. But God yet again opened up a door for us in downtown. But the catch was we needed some money. But the catch to that catch was we were young and poor. <laughs> didn't, have a, didn't have a pot to, to, to pee in. <laughs> you know what I'm about to say. Some of you too sanctified folks are giving me the eye, but you'll get saved later. But yet again, God was going to flex his muscles and show us who he really was and open a door for us. So the building was offered to us in downtown for $300,000. Sure, we said. We can come up with what they asked us, $50,000. <laughs> sure, we'll do that. Yeah. We had, I think, we come up with $15,000. Some of you probably know the story. I like to share it because it, it is the faithfulness of God. And a young lady met with us and said, hey, I need to meet with you guys. I want to pray. I was like, that's a good idea because we need it. And she said, before I pray, we met with us at the building. She said, before I pray, I need to tell you I got an inheritance and I need to tithe. The bank was asking us to get $50,000. We had 15000 I hadn't even announced this to the church. And she said, I need to tithe $35,000. If you could do math... Or if you're slow like me, that's $50,000. <laughs> God opened a door so that we could proclaim the mystery that he's talking about. So we could proclaim the gospel of Jesus and then a pandemic shut down the country just so that I would be walking. I like to say the pandemic was just for me. That's probably a little weird. And it's not an insult to anyone who's probably suffered. But had it not been because of that, God in his sovereignty found a way to use that for our good, Amen. for his glory. Yeah. Prayer has been the central part of our church. Amen. It has been. It is, it is the reason why we continue because we continue to go after the Lord. Devotion, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And, and another translation may say, stay devoted in prayer. Now let's be honest, that's hard, isn't it? If I were to ask you to raise your hand and say, how many of you are staying devoted in prayer? I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I don't know if a lot of hands would go up. I don't even know if my own hand would go up. But Paul is saying, I'm, I'm urging you and I'm, and I'm asking you to stay devoted to prayer. And I think one of the reasons why this is a struggle for us, staying devoted to prayer, is because we just don't see ourselves the way God sees us. Amen. Have you ever betrayed someone? Or is some, let, me, let me put it to you like this, because none of y'all have ever betrayed anyone. Has someone ever betrayed you? Let's put it to you like that. Yes. 
Now, what do you do in a situation when someone has betrayed you and you see that person at Walmart? Do you go up to them gleefully and say, well, how are you doing today? I don't think you do, unless you're Willie McQueen. Like, here's the reality, and here's why I would suggest the reason why some of us are not devoted into prayer is because the reality of it is, is that you all have wronged God, and since you've wronged God, you just want to avoid Him. So we avoid God because we just don't think He loves us. We avoid God in our prayer because we just don't see ourselves the way the Father sees us as His children. It's just a result of us just believing that God doesn't delight in us. Stay devoted in prayer, Paul urges the church of Colossae. So he says a couple of things, and there's one word in here that I just would suggest doesn't seem like it fits in this passage. He says, pray, watch, and thank God. Pray, watch, and thank God. One of those just doesn't seem like the others, does it? I've been in a... I may have shared this story, but I, I like sharing stories again. I, I remember when me and Miranda, before we had started church, um, and before we were kind of involved a lot in churches, we would, we would visit around, and one particular church we went into, preacher at the altar time, I'd say every head's bowed and every eye's closed. You've never been in one of those churches. Now, this particular church, they weren't moving and budging until every dang head was bowed and until the preacher would lock eyes with you. Every head bowed. Every eyes closed. That's intimidating, isn't it? And weird. (laughs) Because sometimes we view prayer. I have a point to that story. Like, okay, we've got to close our eyes and let's just peep around. But that's not what Paul says. When you're praying, you watch out. This is perhaps from uh, a cross-reference when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane when he commands his disciples, stay here and keep watch. Why would Paul give a similar command to Jesus? Pray, watch out. Pray, keep your... Keep your eyes open while you're praying. It's likely that Paul is saying to keep your eyes open lest you fall into temptation. Just like Jesus was saying to his boys in the garden, keep your eyes open because there's trouble all around and you need to be aware of what's going on around you. Likewise, Paul is saying, pray. And while you're praying, watch so that you could be so that you can be aware of what's around you. Pray, watch, refuge point, pray. And as you're praying, watch, so that we could be aware of what's around us, so that we could be aware of the needs that are in our backyard or our front yard and our side yards. Pray and watch so that as you're at home, you could be aware of the hurting around you and your neighbors. Pray and watch so that you are aware of what's happening around you. It's almost as if he's saying, just do not close your eyes to the things 
into the needs, into the realities of this world. So, so many times we think prayer is like, well, let me get into my closet. Now that's weird, because what do you say when you come out of the closet? Huh? Anyway, so the jokes will get worse, I promise. Why? why? So why, why is this such, and, and yes, you should pray privately. I'm not suggesting that you don't. But praying public, praying around you, praying as you're walking Amen. and watching as you're praying. And he says, and thank God. And so not only are we to watch, be watchful for when we pray, then he says this, and he says, then we also pray for doors to open. I love what's not being implied here, because where's Paul at? Y'all remember? Prison. Y'all, this is not what I'd be praying. If I'm writing a letter and I'm in praying, if I'm in prison, I'd be like, y'all better bail me out, you bunch of jokers. Leave me up here in prison to die. Man, I'd be shaming every single one of y'all. Y'all left me in prison. What does Paul say? He doesn't say, pray that the doors burst open and I am escaping prison. What does he say? He says, pray that more doors will open while I'm still in prison. <laughs> y'all, that's crazy. That's not a prayer that I would be praying he asked them to pray. God will open another door for the proclamation of the gospel while I'm still in prison, while I'm still in my suffering. Look at Paul as an example to us. He said, pray, God, grant me some lavish lifestyle and get me out of this slum prison here. I'm just asking you, God, that you would pray with me, saints, for more doors to open so that the gospel can continue. What are the doors that you're, open, that you're asking God to open in your life? Would it, be in, would it be safe to say that some of us are probably doing the other part of the prayer? Which, it's, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to pray for things. But if those are your primary prayers, there may be something a little off in your prayer life. Pray then, God open more doors for the gospel to continue to reach the nations. This is what Paul is urging these fellow believers to join him in. And I'm urging you that even while I'm in prison that you would pray with me, doors be open for the gospel. What are the doors that you're asking God to open in your life? You're asking God to open a door for me to be generous to someone. That's a good prayer. God, grant me a way to share your love great prayer God open doors for us to have influence in our community that's, that's a great prayer God open a door for us to be debt free God answered that prayer and he says pray that I may proclaim it clearly that's 
That's pretty incredible right here. Pray that I may proclaim, proclaim what? Proclaim the gospel of Jesus clearly. So that's something that we should all be getting better at. Not just telling them what not to do, but telling them about the gospel of Jesus in a clear way. Knowing that some will continue to be blind to the fact that they will never open up to the gospel in a spiritual sense, Willie. Yeah. And lastly, look what he says here. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. That's, that's really important right there. If you have an actual Bible, you should underline that. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Be wise about how you deal with the outsider. I mean, I love that. Because our church, if you could just allow me to, to talk about us contextually here, because our church, we have to continue to be about not just us, not just growing us in depth, not just growing us in a discipled kind of way, but also we have to continue to be about the outsider. We never can get to a point as a church where this is it. We should never get to a point as a church where we're comfortable with how things are, but we should always be at a point in our church where we are concerned about the outsider just as much as we are concerned about those who are in the church. And we may not have 14,000 ministries, we never will. We may not have a ministry for every single church. But that's the danger of having a southern church where there's one on every corner, right? I like it here, I like it there. But we should be about and be a part of a church. And if we are part of the church... We should always be willing to make room for more. Amen. Why? Because we should be about the outsider. Amen. Be wise about how you deal with the outsider. And then he says, he gives us another command. So make the best use of time. You know what one of my fears is? As, as just, a, just a general fear from me personally is that I just waste time doing something and if you're you're slightly ADD like myself like squirrel I'm like wait that needs my attention and I go to it and I'm like wait a minute I didn't even finish what I just started on four days ago and then I've got like 15,000 projects going on at one time am I the only person that's like that I pray to God not because then I would just probably just seek for help and it like, you ever been guilty of just doing something that you probably just, just stop? And I think of fear for me, even as a pastor, and even I think if you're, you're a leader in an organization, or, or even in your family, even as an employee, like there's a fear that we have that we're just wasting time doing something that we shouldn't even be doing, caught up in something that doesn't even matter. Debating on some, with someone on Facebook, do you think that really matters in the end? Do you really think that's going to win that person over 
Let me just give you a suggestion. You're not making the best use of your time. Instead of leading like I should, I find myself busy trying to be doing something I have no business doing. Instead of being a father, instead of being a parent, instead of being a a, a spouse, we waste so much time doing the things that really matter. Making the best use of time by how. Here's the kicker. Being gracious and seasoned with salt. Here's how you make the best use of time by being what the world needs. All right, let's be honest. A lot of chaos going on right now. Kind of an understatement. A lot of things cycling in and out of the news. Let's be honest. Like, I don't even know what's true anymore. Right? It's madness and chaos all around us. And here's what the world needs right now. They don't need a debater. They don't need a church to be a debater. They don't need a a church to stick their fist in their face. Perhaps what the church could do and make use of their time is by being gracious. Seasoned with salt. Now, salt was not only, if you've heard this before, not only a flavor, but it preserved. The Colossians' speech is to be salty. Here's what this means. It doesn't mean when you think it means. Because salty language sometimes is mixed with profane language or just a little bit of an attitude. Husbands, don't be looking at your wife. Um... Seasoned with salt was something that they would use to refer as being almost witty, amusing, clever, even in humorous speech. (laughs) Praise God, I finally found my gift. Amen? No? Okay. Here's why Paul throws this in there. So that as they're proclaiming the gospel, they would not be viewed as irrelevant. So as we are proclaiming the message, like it's okay to use a little bit of saltiness in your talk with with some people and not look like some stuffed up deviled egg or something. I don't know, I can't use the analogy I want to use right now, but, but I think you're tracking with what I'm saying here. Like some bitter person. You need Jesus! That's not what Paul is suggesting. Use a little bit of salt and flavor in your language when you're talking about Jesus. Be gracious to our neighbors. Showing them love and grace. When I read through this passage, I thought this was an incredible passage to be going through as we kind of step into a new chapter as a church. Because Paul outlines five things that I think are indicative of us as a church that we must continue to do. Devoted to prayer. While you're always being watchful. 
caring and looking out. A church for the outsider. Church that's not caught up in something they shouldn't be doing, but doing what God has called them to be doing. And a church full of grace. In the Old Testament, watchmen were people who were always on post. In the ancient world, they would set up watchtowers and they were placed as overlooking the fields. There, men would stand watch guarding the fields from animals and from thieves. With the community's basic food and their supplies at risk, they had to have these guys to be watchful. So their role was pretty critical to the town's way of life. You could see these men observing everyday life, people coming in, people going out, people doing life together. You could see the activity in the streets, activity in the fields. He knew the people, their work. They knew their habits. They knew their lifestyles. They knew their way of life. If his position was near the city gate, he could observe the busyness of the city and the business, the transactions of the officials. Could it be that Paul was saying as you're praying, this is what I have in mind for you, that you're not set up as some hermit and you're not isolating yourself from the way of life and from the way of life around you. And, and I should note that that could be difficult for some right now in the world we live in. But be aware of what's going on and stop living your life for yourself and stop living this life that's all by yourself. How else will the gospel be then proclaimed? How else then will the gospel, this mystery that Paul says, how else will that go out to the outsider? So Paul says, pray and be watchful. And pray that God would open a door for us. Let's be a church devoted to prayer. A church that's always on watch. A church for the outsider. A church always doing what God has called us to do. And a church full of grace. Let's pray, Father.